Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Stinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome back to another episode. And today, this is a Friday. I've recorded on a Friday in a long time since since last year. Um, I am very happy to have a guest finally on the show. It's nice for someone to come visit. I appreciate it. From the ringer. And also, I believe the f- the first daughter of Edmonton. Is that correct? Uh-huh. Sirit Sohi. Oh, thank you. Thanks is that true? Are you now the first daughter of Edmonton? Uh, I prefer Princess of Edmonton, but, you know, that works. <laughs> um, Sirit's, Sirit's dad is the mayor, is that right? Yeah, he just uh, he was elected a couple months ago. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I like how blasé you are about this. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, uh, I don't, you know, I talk about it when he needs to be elected, and then I just kind of try to compartmentalize and pretend that my identity is not tied to my parents at all. No, I don't think it you is. Know. It has nothing to do with your, <laughs> that has nothing to do with your parents. Um, mm-hmm. They're out of the picture. I think your identity is probably slinging all kinds of basketball information and knowledge. What, what, what are you thinking about these? Like, what what's on your mind as we go through? We're into like the fiftieth game of the season now. Mm-hmm. We're getting to the home stretch. Yeah. I'm having a lot of fun this season, Ben. Um, right before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about the amount of kind of strange, fun defenses that have emerged uh, and just a general vibe of like anything kind of goes like we're kind of we're we're at an experimental. I don't want to say we're at an experimental peak because these things can, you know, they can keep going and going. You don't you don't know when the wave is cresting, but um, I just don't think I've ever seen this many different strange configurations of teams that have found a way to be successful. Um, Like we were talking about the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, They kind of started the season with like this very fun, like big man experiment that we just kind of, I early on, I was, I was very much in support of it when it happened in the preseason. I was just like, you know what? I love when teams do things like this. Um, I thought it would be interesting. I, I could see it working, right? Like you have, a player like Evan Mobley, uh, just incredible wingspan. I didn't think he'd be as good defensively as he's been this fast, yeah. especially being a big man. Mm. That learning curve usually takes some time, but he's been really good. You have, you have, you have Lowry um, and Jared Allen, and it was just – I just thought it was fun. I thought, like, you know, let's, do, let's just do this big ball. Let's see what happens. Um, and now the Cavs are, like, a top-five defense and one of the most fun teams in the NBA – um, and it makes a lot of intuitive sense to think like, let's start a bunch of seven footers in a league where space matters a ton. Um, it's just one of those things where I thought, I, you know, you don't, you don't know these, how these things are actually going to work out in practice. And then on the other end, like you still have the warriors and you've got like, you know, you've got like, like Gary Payton and, and Bruce Brown and like, you know, and, and Bambri and like, you know, like <laughs> the thing that sucks for Bruce Brown is like, he kind of carved this role and now everyone else is playing it instead um of like basically playing like center 
from but while being guards right like being like these Bruce Brown I think is 6'4 um and GP I think is 6'3 and they are basically like they are playing interior positions rolling to the rim defending switching um and like both of those things exist to great success and that and you, is fun for me and that's and just you, the start that's just know? the like, beginning so this, much, is, yeah. this is just the tip of the iceberg for this season um the Cavs let's go back to the Cavs the Cavs in the preseason when it started it was kind of it felt like a like a curiosity to me um because teams in the teams in the old days did that they like when Kevin Garnett came into the league he played like small forward and every once in a blue moon he was matched up with a shooting guard and I'm like you're seven feet tall this is incredible and Tim Duncan I've talked about this in historical work with him a lot like there was a point where Greg Popovich tried to start him, David Robinson, and seven-footer Will Purdue. So this is like a thing that's happened before. But the Cavs rolling it out now was just like, oh, my first thought was like, oh, maybe that's a way to get more out of Lowry Markkinen while hiding his weaknesses or something like that. So that's an interesting Mm -hmm. idea. But I don't know how many people expected the Cavs to me or the surprise team of the season. And there always is one. And other teams have outperformed their preseason and some teams have underperformed but for me at least I think most of the teams that have outperformed are teams that coming into the season I talked about as candidates to outperform whereas the Cavs it's like you said that lineup construction and especially those interior guys with the twin towers with Mobley and Allen and the fact that Mobley is such a good drop big but then excuse me um Jared is such a good drop big Allen, but then Mobley is so like versatile and his length and the way he can guard smaller players and roam out to the perimeter and switch around behind the play. It makes like the whole thing work, right? So you get this really good defense and then boom, Darius Garland comes in on offense and he's this huge spark plug and he's this big, I I think he should be at the top of everyone's most improved player discussion. Like he's, he's really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. Would he, he'd be on your all-star team? I mean, we're, what are we just giving away spoilers for next week's podcast? Um, <laughs> I think I think so. I think a teaser, a teaser. Yeah, like cast. a little, like a little mm-hmm. hors d'oeuvre, um, mm-hmm. an, app, an appetizer, mm-hmm. as they say in the food world. I, I I think so. Yeah, I would have to finish mapping out the East, but the last time I did it, um, I think I had him in pretty comfortably. You start to run out of players that are better than him once you get to. 10 or 12 guys or whatever yeah you do he's he's like he's on mine as well like kind of like at the time narrowly uh ahead of Lamelo, i believe is what i had him um and i think maybe yeah maybe he'd be more strongly entrenched now but he's been incredible um and he's also you know like i was kind of for me the it was a little bit the on off numbers but more than anything else the fact that he is like really running that offense and being a plus, I guess, was probably what put him in for me over like and not the and and probably the record too. The record as well. Uh you gotta kinda you gotta get some all stars in there. But uh yeah, he's been really fun this this year. And I just I love the way that team passes in general. Uh there's so much fun to watch. Like there's just like they have a lot of tall guys who can pass really well outside of Garland too. Like, you know, you love like this kind of like Kevin Love kind of just finding his, his happy place as well. It's just nice to see, listen to some of the snippets he had on the JJ Reddick podcast. And that was just, you know, it's heartening, right? Um, and 
but like you know for also for him to like find like kind of a, a role that makes sense too is is great and then like Mobley um Mobley is a, a pretty good passer as well especially yeah. for for being a rookie uh there was there was a play I just I just finished talking about this on uh, on the answer we just recorded before this uh there was a play I think I saw it this week and I can't remember who it was against but um Mobley and Larry Markkinen ran a uh, pick and roll and you know the automatic thing you think in those moments is it's two seven seven footers we're just going to switch this but you can't you can't like really do that because if a seven foot, footer slips and another seven footer is the passer you're done the, the there's angle. nothing you can do yeah there's the no ang- like unless you're also Giannis you're done <laughs> I, like that angle is really mm-hmm. underappreciated because it's starting to get used more right I mean Jokic is on ball when he runs pick and roll but mm-hmm. the biggest guy they do it with I think is like Aaron Gordon or Jeff Green mm-hmm. but you see it the Cavs you talked about Mobley Allen um my latest video is on Jaron Jackson Jr. they have him running it occasionally just like randomly in the middle of the floor he starts his drive and then it's like nope mm-hmm. it's a pick and roll and he's throwing a lob to Clark yeah and and the combination of that angle of of the passer that height that he has and then the height that the receiver has, it's very tricky to guard, even as you said, like if you switch it, because the the window is just so accessible for both the passer and the receiver. And as a defender, even if you're a big defender, you have to be in position early and you have to be long. It's it's mm-hmm. it's so cool, Sierra. These yeah. like these like inverted pick and rolls, big, big pick and rolls, all this kind of stuff. I this is I think what you were alluding to at the top of like the the tip of the iceberg of this strategic renaissance that mm-hmm. I kind of feel like we're in. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Uh, Jaron Jackson has also been incredible to watch this season. I watched uh, I watched a, that video. It was good. You should every obviously anybody who is listening to this podcast, I'm sure, is watching all your videos. But um, I would say if you're listening, you should watch that video. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate but, that. Thank you. Yeah, the Grizzlies are another team that's really fun too because like they have this combination of a lot of different types of big men, like they can kind of go in a lot of different configurations, like with, you know, Adams at the five and, and, and Jackson at the four and just completely pummel you with rebounds. Like they still have T- Tillman coming off the bench. If you want to go small ball, obviously you can put Jaron Jackson at the five too. Um, and they're like, that is definitely a more traditional scheme sort of like, especially coming from talking about the Cavs. But at the same time, like I've just been thinking about, how formulaic I guess we become in the last few years in terms of our analysis of um of the game I was kind of I was kind of pulling back my own sort of mistakes I guess with Giannis and not really giving him enough credit for being able to potentially do what he did just like relentlessly going at the paint like I was always one of the people that kind of felt like he'd always need to develop somewhat of a jump shot so I just like in 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 reevaluation and stuff like I just kind of wanted to give up having theories for how teams win, I guess. And then this season completely just like has, has fed into that because we're seeing everything. Uh, like we're seeing literally everything like the, 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 the Grizzly style um, and, and, and the Cavs. And then like the other, the other two that I think are fascinating are our Minnesota and Chicago building these defenses where like they definitely have, you know, more porous players playing in the front court, whether it's it's Towns or Vucevic. Um, but they make up for it with like just this really smart, aggressive, 
perimeter defense. I'm honestly, I'm still like you, you made a, you did that video about Russell and that kind of helped me kind of, I guess, like configure it in my head in terms of how it works, but it's still like, I still don't completely get it. Honestly. It's a little chaotic. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's a little chaotic. Our our working title was something about like, just chaos, like, like Mm -hmm. how sort of Chris Finch has switched to this chaotic model. And I think to some degree that's personnel enabled, which is what makes them so like, fun and funky and wild to watch because jared vanderbilt who i absolutely love um just speaking of curiosities like how can you be so good at offensive rebounding in today's game it it kind of feels like at random times he's like dennis like oh there's a shot oh how did jared vanderbilt come out of nowhere and get that rebound but then on defense him mcdaniels even the athleticism of like edwards these kind of guys that they have out there that can Mm -hmm. be frenetic and long and horizontal um yeah yeah, it's really fun okay keep going you're out you're on a good run what's next the bulls yeah i mean i think the bulls are kind of similar right um now they've got their injuries but like you know start of the season lonzo caruso backcourt it's just it's fucking impossible and it's way more like impossible than i think that like we we thought it would be and I also think there's this thing happening where like Caruso really improved his health defense. Um, also, as I said, you know what? He improved defensively. He's always been a good defender, uh, but I think he improved defensively almost all around. I think there's almost like, he, he, like as these things develop, there becomes like an institutional knowledge. Right. And sometimes like when I see the things that Caruso does, it kind of reminds me of like, Oh, Chris Paul was doing this on the Suns last year. Like just like his positioning on help side, just being like, he's, like Chris Paul is always in the perfect position to close out to two shooters on the weak side at all times. Like he's always, he's always exactly where he should be for both of those passes when he's on help side. Um, and now Caruso's like been able to do that too. And he's been like, um, also just like, I, th- I, I don't know. He is like, maybe this is just years in the league, but his isolation defense, like I, th- I think really like hit, hit, hit a peak before he got hurt too, where I think he, maybe it's just like getting enough reps um but yeah no i think even the officiate the officiating too that's a good point allowing that physicality like Mm -hmm. it seems so intuitive to him when he was with the lakers and was really Mm -hmm. a good defender he kind of flew around a lot and was very Mm -hmm. active and he almost had that like avery bradley i'm gonna buzz near the ball but this 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 season it seemed like they came out of the gate and lonzo is a big physical guy as well Mm -hmm. and just having a little more leeway to be physical to me seems to fit within that style. And then you get this, like, can you build a defense around two all D all D league guards? It, it, yeah. It's, it's super interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think it's, it's definitely an interesting question because I think like prior to this sort of the rise of this kind of like really, I don't know, lat- like, I think it's a combination of lateral quickness and strength and, and, and being able to, predict and react and having really good reflexes and like it's it's a bunch of different things but there was a time when you like there was just not really there were very few defenders that could actually defend at the point of attack in a way that mattered like I I think for a long time it was like an anybody can be anybody off the dribble type of league so it's all it's all really about like how much resistance you give and also about where you lead them and your help defense. And like, it was just a different sort of style. And like the, the, the guard style of defense was very much dependent on what the big was capable of doing. Right. Um, And now I think we're in this age where some of these guard defenders are actually kind of good enough that like, sometimes you can leave them on an Island, you know, and it's, and it's fine. Like, you know, you're not going to necessarily penetrate on Lonzo ball. 
Yeah. So speaking of like unique styles and creativity, doesn't this doesn't this lead us toward Matisse Thibel and just like what? So someone said mm-hmm. early in the season, especially when Embiid was missing games, they mm-hmm. would ask me like, how can how can I watch the 76ers? They're a tough watch. They don't have this graceful offense. Mm-hmm. You know, all these guys are injured. And I was like, well, Look I don't the 17 to 23 minutes at Matisse Thibel. Yeah, I was like, I don't watch the 76ers. I just watch the Matisse Thibel minutes. They're yeah. they're absolutely um exhilarating. So yeah, I I've always been a huge, huge fan of this idea of like all the different ways to skin a cat. It's kind of what mm-hmm. makes basketball. And you mm-hmm. said something earlier be, that I before before we like jump 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 like I don't know if you're gonna get more into Matisse or less into Matisse. No, I was gonna get less into Matisse, but go Okay. Ahead. So I asked Chris Ryan this question this morning. Um and since you bring him up, I'm he's a Phil- he's a Philadelphian you. in case he is. Yeah. He is, he is he is my he's my co-host for the answer. Um we so watching watching Lakers Sixers last night it's kind of popped into my head a little bit um what do you like who do you think would be better like or who do you think would win um a team of five Matisse Seibels versus a team of five Malik Monks (laughs) boy that is a that is a fun question just because of the extremeness of the two types of players um I, I also think I take these questions way too seriously because I'm like, that's well, that's the whole point. I was honestly, literally, I like didn't even watch the game after I was thinking. After I started thinking about that, I was I'm, watching a game in my head. I'm like, <laughs> well, I mean, the the monk team feels like it could like run offense and score and have shooters, and yeah, Matisse would the Matisses would all cause many problems, but they could at least do stuff and might have like I don't know a really really bad NBA offense. But on the flip side, the Matisse team, even though it's five Malik Monks, like just make a shell or play zone or do something. Yeah. Like, I don't know how the Matisse team. Could they, could they lock arms at 40 feet and just like kind of do like a Red Rover situation? <laughs> just like, that, that doesn't even need through. to be 40 feet. They could just go right in, right in the paint. Just play a pack line with five guys and just never leave the paint. Mm-hmm. That's well, probably... Malik, Malik can shoot from deep though. You're just giving him open jumpers. No, I mean on the flip side, Malik, when Malik's when the Malik's are on defense. Mm, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got just you. let Thibel take yeah. his take his threes, and that's I I I think I think in those situations, I think I'd probably go for the extreme offensive player. But what's so interesting to mm-hmm. me is once you put, especially in today's league, once you put those guys around other players that are better, and you know, like monks on a team with big men and defenders mm-hmm. and ball handlers and creators. I think there are probably more teams where I'd want Matisse because of his defensive extreme strengths. And the fact that even in maybe like not the best situations, you can deploy him for like 15 or 20 minutes. Like when they get to the playoffs, it seems weird to me to think that you can't keep playing those Matisse, those minutes. And there might be a matchup where you really want him to play like 34 minutes a night because mm-hmm. You're just sending them after someone else's best point of attack guy. Honestly, I am completely against the idea of not playing Matisse Seibel a lot of minutes. Yeah. Like, I'm going to, like, first of all, disclaimer, this is mostly for my personal entertainment. But this podcast or or the Matisse point? The idea of Matisse, like, playing, like, 36 minutes a night. I don't know that he would, like, he's really young. And he's also, I mean, he's bursting with energy literally every time he gets on the court. Maybe that is because of like the the minutes he plays. And he's one of these like kind of like he's like he's also been like an emergence of like utility defenders like him that you bring off the bench. 
Um, it, I, I and, love those guys, though. By the way, oh, it's yeah, it's it, it, and like maybe you ruin it, right? Like maybe you ruin it if he, if he plays thirty six minutes. Maybe he's not supposed to be able to do that for thirty six minutes. Um, but at the same time, I also like I also just think that like if we like if if offense really is that valuable, and the reason I even started thinking about that question, I think is just like it used to be you always went with the offensive player, right? And I think that's kind of that maybe that's kind of the story of this season too, with like the refing uh, changes and also the lower f- overall field goal percentage that we've kind of corrected and defense does have a little bit more import in the regular season um, than it used to in the past. Um, I think that like maybe it's time to reevaluate on how much you play a guy like Matisse. Like I used to disagree with it. Like when, you know, like 10, 10 years ago, when, you know, Thabo Cephalosha was starting over James Harden. I got it because it's like six man role, whatever. But like, come on, you you fucking play James Harden, man. (laughs) Like even back then, right? Um, And that was James Harden being like not, it was like six man James Harden on OKC, not MVP James Harden. Um, And now I don't, I I still, honestly though, that, that, that bet is still probably the same. I think if, offensive player as good as Harden you probably still want to play them more than you play like a defender but I also think that's because of impact too like I don't think I don't think the NBA had impact defend individual defenders um at the on the perimeter that can like shut a guy down in isolation in a way that mattered um until until now um and I like I look at like I look at that Sixers series right and like Trey Young was going to do Trey Young things. And like, there was, there's an over aggressiveness to Matisse that like he definitely took advantage of at times. But I also think that like, there is something to the idea of we're going to put our most annoying and energetic and tall and athletic player on Trey Young for 36 minutes a night for the sheer fact of that's what Trey Young has to deal with for 36 minutes a night. And not that there weren't other guys. And like, you should definitely, you know, you got to give a guy like that multiple looks then it's like, then it's like, okay, then you put Thibel on somebody else. I don't know. I just like my whole point, Matisse Thibel should play more. Um, and let's, let's kind of like, there's a, there's a couple of these guys where I think like, you know, in, in certain moments, like you got to just, you have to allow for the possibility of a defense to make, of, of a defender to make a play, to make a defensive play. Um, like in the same vein of like, you know, Kawhi Leonard, right. Where, you just kind of put the ball around him and it's, it, and it's terrifying. Anything can happen the same way. We kind of like look at offensive players to go, like go make, make something happen. I think there are defenders that can straight up more defenders than ever that can straight up just make something happen. Yeah. I think the prop, as you're talking through this, I'm, I don't want to get into the Philadelphia soap opera. Um, but mm-hmm. I think, I think part of the problem actually has nothing to do with Simmons. I think it's, they don't, they don't have enough offensive firepower mm-hmm. to put and beat out there three good offensive players that can kind of hold their own on defense and then Matisse and say like, just go play 35 minutes and do your thing. I think that's part of the issue is that if you had, it goes back to the monk versus Thibault's mm-hmm. question. If, if you had better offensive talent, um, you know, I, I'm not going to say a guy I'm thinking of who has an enormous contract and maybe, you know, it would be better if you spent that money on someone who was an elite offensive player, but you, you, that's what I think. I think you probably mm-hmm. need more of that. And maybe that's why it's mm-hmm. not been easy to play but, him more minutes. I, I don't know. He's obviously very limited offensively. He, he, he is. Well, okay. There's, there's, there's two things there. I think he is limited offensively, but I also think there's like, 
it kind of goes back to we were talking about earlier with some of these configurations on these teams. Like the Sixers just play like a basketball team from like five years ago, you know? That's that's nothing wrong. Sure, yeah, yeah, that's probably fair. Like, and I don't think the Sixers have ever actually figured out the correct way to play together. And that's a lot of different reasons for that. We don't need to do like the exact, like you said, the Sixers soap opera. Um, But at the same time, I don't understand why a a team that has Seth Curry, Tobias Harris, Tyrese Maxey, like they should be able to have enough offensive firepower on the floor to be able to afford having one non-shooter on the floor. Like we're talking like Joel Embiid is also like, he doesn't need space anymore. You know, like he's good. Right. Like we, like he's been incredible. And obviously like you want to create space for him. Right. But having like, if you're going to have Ben Simmons on the floor before, and obviously I I understand he brings more on offense than Matisse did most of the time. Um, Like he, that that was a configuration that they were already working in. Like you can have one guy who's like your cutter floater, like kind of hanging out in, in the, in the paint area. Also actually kind of like, kind of like Bambri where like, you know, that if they had that one, the one game that the Nets big three got to play together, he had all this space in the world to kind of like, he wasn't even necessarily hanging out in the paint to like be an outlet. He was kind of like in like the, the, the 20 foot, 18 foot, like right wing area that is just like completely free these days on a lot in, in a lot of defensive schemes where from, from there, then you can either like, you can get him like catch the ball. A to, if he, if he takes him, I don't love a Matisse, the idea of a Matisse Thibel mid range jumper by any means. I don't hate him cutting. Like he's incredibly uh, explosive, yeah. right? Like yeah. there should be more, like it just, you know, like there's t- teams go out of their way to like, like if, and I don't want to, Ray on him or act like he's like just like a placeholder for a thing that happened. I think Bruce Brown is actually like a very solid basketball player. But like if you can find if the Nets can find a way for Bruce Brown to be able to play, and I guess it, you know what? I this is a bad point. I'm gonna take this point back. This is not the direction I should be going in because he's not playing that much anymore and they have a lot more spacing. I don't I will say I don't know the answer, but it should be something that they're trying to do. He is just a god level defender. I just Matisse. like, yeah, Matisse. Yeah. Yeah. Like you just, you had, I don't know. You got to find more minutes for him. That's it. That's it. That's all. I, I, I love how somehow we ended up on like 10 minutes of the, this is what Chris Ryan wanted earlier. He put this thought in your head. No, that was me. That was me. I think, I don't think Chris, I actually think I'm talking more about the Sixers because I think Chris is tapped out on the Sixers, <laughs> man. Like, I don't, right. I, I don't think I could get him to talk like Sixers X's and O's. I can barely get it. Like he wanted to get a little bit out about like the Harden rumors, but like, it just wasn't, you know, I think, I think Chris wants to talk about other things. What, <laughs> what were we talking about before we went down this rabbit hole? I Matisse, can't, Thibel, no, uh, right before gonna, I was going to say something that was, you were. And then I, then I brought up the Matisse, the, the Matisse versus Malik Monk thing, which is, and then I just talked for 10 minutes. No, I don't um, remember. Um. Okay. That's okay. What else we do you were, want to talk about? Well, I like other basketball things. <laughs> we were we were talking about, I think, something to do with all the different ways to skin the cat in the league. Mm-hmm. Does that sound yes. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's okay. That's where you were. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I think that's always been one of my favorite things. And the and I now I remember the point I wanted to circle back to, which you said at the top, was this idea, or you alluded to it, this idea that it's often a copycat league. And we get entrenched, I'll use your words, this institutional knowledge kind of becomes entrenched sometimes. And you say things like, 
well, the only way to win championships is to have five switchable defenders, or Mm -hmm. the only way to win championships is to have a heliocentric point guard who can guide you to do things like LeBron James. And it's like, Mm -hmm. and I think we both like theories, right? So it's an easy, it's an easy thing to fall into both from like the in like a TV talking head way, but also in like a, a legitimate, like, you know, I think it's about basketball a lot way. Yeah. And then you can kind of get trapped in it sometimes. Exactly. Too. I think, I think mm-hmm. the trap and I don't know if media or teams, which one, which party's more guilty because I think teams are guilty of it. Mm-hmm. I think the trap is somebody comes along, they win in a new way. It's compelling. And mm-hmm. then everyone chases that. And if someone doesn't win, it takes longer for the ideas to set hold. Like, like if you just look at the X's and O's around the league, mm-hmm. like Mike D'Antoni's influence on the league is crazy, but they never won a title. So there was never like an overnight snap of the fingers. Oh, we all have to play like the seven seconds yeah. or less sons. We should all instantly downsize. Like he was downsizing, mm-hmm. playing Sean Marion at the four, right? Playing with pace, running, just spamming pick and roll filling up the court with at least four three-point shooters, mm-hmm. modern spacing. But it wasn't like if you go back and watch a game in 2008, the whole league was doing that. Yeah, It wasn't until someone won that a change like that took place. So I think the yeah. trap as we talk about all this stuff is that there's always been so many different ways to do it. There's always been, you know, you can have a slower offense that runs a lot of pick and roll. You can have more movement. You can have more shooting. There's, of course, the famous Charles Barkley quote where he's like, a jump shooting team isn't going to win a title. I still don't know what mm-hmm. that means. I don't know what all the other teams that won titles were doing when they shot from the outside, but it's like, there's always these different ways to do it. And what's really exciting about the league this year to me is Cavs play three, seven foot. You turn on a Grizzlies game. They got like three centers. Killian Tilly was playing mm-hmm. like small forward. He's more of a center, I guess. And then you, and then you come back in the second quarter and Jaron Jackson's playing the five and they got like, uh Zaire Williams at the four uh, it's it's just you see this kind of diversity and versatility mm-hmm. spread out across the league this season and it's uh it's yeah it's really fun yeah um two a couple things from there I'm gonna rehash the story which I'm sure you know but it's been a couple of years so in case anybody that's listening didn't know this um the funny thing about the Suns is they didn't believe in their vision either. Like, not enough, right? Like, they ended up trading for Shaq because they gave in to this idea that they did need size and that they did need to, like, match up with the with the bigger teams in, in the league, right? And um, there is something to having that in your in like your back pocket right but like you we obviously knew Shaq at that time if you trade for Shaq you don't bring him off the bench you don't use him as a utility piece like you you sign Shaq right um that's who he was in that moment I think it was his first team after Miami right the Suns were yeah because Um, Marion went Marion went to Miami in that in that team that's another part of it and that's yeah yeah Marion was like like let me go be a Draymond Green for Dwight Howard yeah as well like in just from like a functional like how much like let's let's imagine the alternate universe where like the warriors don't win the title in 2015 and like they are kind of under a, like a pile of of just like criticism and and whatever and then like you maybe you see some some heads turn or or maybe there's just like they they just buck on their vision a little bit uh but it was steve steve kerr was the gm of that team of the suns team um oh, and he ironic. always He's he always well he always I think he learned from his, the mistake like he 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 said he regretted not buying in completely to it as did Mike D, uh, Mike D'Antoni you know going into Houston and then going like even more extreme 
with that style, right? Like it was just a complete, like, you know what, we're going to do this again and we're going to do this and actually believe in it no matter what, um, that I thought was really interesting. And, and just like, I don't know, it's just, it's just sometimes like we get, I think lost in like who's right and wrong in these situations. And it's like, man, sometimes even, even the architects of these visions aren't like 100% on them. Like they're just kind of taking a shot in the dark out there too right you mean you mean the warriors master plan wasn't to take draymond green in the second round mm-hmm. have steph curry come to seventh and then slap on clay thompson they that wasn't their long vision when they had the david lee you know the david lee monte ellis years they weren't thinking that far ahead late years baby um what happens another, what happens if lee doesn't even get that. injured yeah go ahead no, I like that one too. Let's do I, Then we can do mine. Yeah. I mean, that one's just fascinating to me. You have these, mm-hmm. I, I think on one hand, it strikes me that Draymond is too smart, too hardworking, too wired for basketball, not to emerge himself. But I think that moment, right, where it's like, it's like uh, the football analog is something like Drew Bledsoe getting injured. So Tom Brady can mm-hmm. come in and play. Right. Yeah. It's like, it just, it just greases the wheels and opens the door mm-hmm. for this seismic shift that absolutely no one has any ideas coming, including the people in the organization. Yeah. Well, the people in the one I was going to say, the people in the organization, um, if this was, I believe, hmm, what summer was this? The Iguodala uh, free agency summer was, Which was it 2014? 14, I think. Yeah. yeah. He had just like, he'd gotten traded from Philly. He played like a half season in Denver, a full season in Denver. They went, they made a playoff run. Um, they played the Warriors. They lost to the Warriors. I don't know. But basically, Iguodala loved the Warriors after that. Um, and in order to become a Golden State Warrior, he needed for Dwight Howard to not become one because that was their number one choice. They wanted Dwight Howard. Dwight Howard was the free agent of that moment. You know, even like despite the weird Lakers stuff, and I don't know if he'd played in Houston, but I think he'd played in Houston by then. Um, But man, like sometimes you just don't know what the fuck is going to (laughs) happen. Yeah. Yeah, And then the Clay Thompson for Kevin Love. I mean, you're really rehashing Mm -hmm. a lot here. Um, Just to just to clarify, when I say 2014, that's the 13, 14 season. So it was the summer free agency or the the Mm -hmm. actual deal was in the summer of 13. Um, Somehow we've made it back to the Warriors. I, I think I think my only point, <laughs> all roads lead back to the Warriors this mm-hmm. season. I think my only point with them to fold into kind of like the spirit of the conversation we're having today is how Golden State is yet another team that still plays stylistically in a way that the rest of the league doesn't really play. Um, so, you know, you watch them, you watch the Nuggets with Jokic, you watch a LaMelo Ball Hornets mm-hmm. game, you watch all the other teams we're talking about. It's a it's a really fun league. There's a lot of interesting, creative um, sort of approaches across the landscape this season. I think that's one of the things I'm I'm mm-hmm. loving about it. Me too. Me too. It's been a it's been a very fun season. Um, a lot of interesting things that it just gives you. I don't know. There's a lot to learn from this season. I'm curious where it goes from here, too. Okay, so let's let's land on this topic, which we thought we might bounce around before we recorded this. The Suns, the Phoenix mm-hmm. Suns, as of right now, this is Friday, January 28th. They have won what, like eight games in a row or so. They just keep going on win streaks. They're, mm-hmm. they're 38 and nine. They have a nice little lead in the Western Conference. 
They have a nice, juicy point differential. They were in the finals last year, up 2-0. They're a really good team. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how are you? Like, I still, part of me, I don't know if I just need to watch them more. Part of me mm-hmm. still doesn't feel like I have a I have a grasp on what this team is in the sense that it's like, is there another level? Mm-hmm. Are they, should they, should they actually be the favorite, especially if they have home court? Or is it that this core unit has been relatively healthy? They've been consistent, right? Mm-hmm. They've been together now for a couple seasons. You add in Monty Williams and then everyone else in the league is getting hit with whether it's injuries or a lot of COVID protocols mm-hmm. in the last six weeks. And they just keep humming along. And therefore, yeah, they're still, they're still in the picture, right? Mm-hmm. But we shouldn't look at them. I saw someone today on Twitter talking about them as like, oh, I, I, the Suns, they're going to win like 66 games or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big difference in quality historically between a team that wins, say, 59 games and is kind of in the mix with other teams mm-hmm. at that level versus uh, standing, a, a standing a notch above them, if you will. So, I mean, yeah. I don't know. What do you what do you make of them? So, yeah, I think I'm kind of in the same boat as you, or I do feel like the regular season record, um, especially when you want to hold it up against like the only team teams that I'm concerned, like the only team in the West that I'm concerned about with the Suns is the Warriors. Like to me, like the any conversation about the Suns is really a Suns Warriors conversation. Um, and then, you know, in the East, I don't know, like if it's, if it's the Bucks again for them, like, I think that's, that's still a pretty tough matchup, but they're, they're actually, well, we can get into the, into that later. Uh, but I do think that they are better situated this season than last to be able to handle the Giannis onslaught for sure. Why is that? Um, um, I think it's just their depth. Um, you know, like after, you know, it was game one, I think that Sarge tore his ACL after that, it was like, you know, beyond DeAndre Ayton, um, their front court was Frank Kaminsky, and that's not going to work against Giannis, right? So they had this twin sort of impact where when Ayton was in the game, he was highly aware of that. And like as a young, jumpy, energetic big man playing against like the strongest competition he's seen, I think he was struggling to to figure out how to stay out of foul trouble while also being aggressive. And I think that's kind of where you saw like just, you know, times that Giannis like just was able to pummel into him. Um, and then the other the like the other end of it is just like the times that he was out of the game, like their their plus minus differentials were, were pretty crazy. Like um, so, you know, you throw in you throw in Biombo. Well, what about the JaVale, um, McGee, JaVale McGee love? Is that is that the direction you're headed in here? I was going the Biombo direction. Okay, Only, interesting. Like, and, and, well, JaVale is another guy where it's like, you know, six fouls, right? Like, that's but, – but I do think, it, like, JaVale is – JaVale is strange in that I think that, like, he is inappropriately assessed as for – like, you know, he's like the Shackton guy, right? But he's better than that. Like, he's been able to play rotational minutes for – championship level teams he doesn't play in every single series and like like you know he's definitely more of like utility guy and then like yeah I think the Lakers kind of had to shelve him but like you know he can give you minutes in certain scenarios uh but to me the bigger one is Biombo because I think Biombo is a little bit more well suited to like be in certain situations where you might even like let's say they end up in that situation again uh, like play, playing the Bucks. Um, and the Bucks are still um, gonna be like you know having like the seven the the two seven footers in the lineup with with Lope, Lopez and Giannis. 
maybe you can have Biombo and eight and out on the floor at the same same time in certain like you know you don't always want to do that but like when you look at other teams that are they're kind of stacking up their size um like Cleveland is in the east they're actually probably better situated to to be able to stop you know an onslaught like Giannis um than than most teams in the east like the Sixers also I think probably would be really good at it too but um you know, but anyway, back to like, it's more front court bodies, more quick guys that can, that could just like give Giannis a bit of a different look. Um, and also just really help on the, uh, on the glass. Like they, the Suns got destroyed on the glass last year. Like a lot of their, a lot of their problems, like, you know, I think, I think Milwaukee really gave them out on offense and they'd have to become more, more versatile um, this season. I think they have. Um, but I think, yeah, like the, the, the increased front court depth for them, just because of the sheer total lack of it last year makes such a big difference. Like it kind of reminds me of something that somebody said to me a long time ago, about like about teams improving where like we, we hyper fixate on players. I think we were talking about the Mavericks and like, you know, what if Luca just like improved his shot selection and just like turn it over like a little less. And he was like, <laughs> yeah, okay. Or like they could just sign like like Luca could get Luca could get like 10% better. Sure. And, and like, you know, like that is honestly also probably something you can expect from him, or you could sign a role player that is 75% better than the guy that you had in the, in the previous position. And I think that's kind of what the Suns have done on on the front court aspect. Yeah, man, that was, that was a lot. Um, I, I'm wondering on the, if we stick in the West, if you take that same thinking you've applied to mm. the Buck series and things like that, how, I'm I'm looking at them versus Utah. Do, do you like you know that a lot of people think well between Booker and Paul they're going to skewer mm-hmm. Rudy Gobert to some degree just because his vulnerability or the way he plays and especially the way Utah has nobody to contain mm-hmm. stuff on the perimeter. How how are you going to take away all the stuff Phoenix likes to do both in the mid range uh-huh. and then and then where that gets their offense right? Like there's mm-hmm. a lot of movement actions that end up with either Paul or Booker having the ball around the elbow at some point in the possession. Mm-hmm. And then you can either go into a scoring move from there or it collapses the defense and, and creates offense. So I've been waiting for them to like play each other. Um, they just played each other twice, but I don't, I only think one team was there. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, the, right. The jazz had almost everyone out. Yeah. I only so, watched the Monday game. Like I didn't. I didn't watch your Wednesday game. Did they have everybody back for their Wednesday game? No, they didn't have everybody back, but they had at least a few people back mm-hmm. in the Wednesday game. I, I haven't seen it. I think I started it and then realized, man, there's still there's still a lot of people missing. Yeah, I'm just watching the same game. Yeah, I was kind of like, I might want to watch the same game the same week. Probably yeah. not. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, and they're not fully healthy either, so you don't really. Yeah, we haven't had it. We haven't gotten that matchup actually. Yeah. Um, Missing the playoffs too. That's an interesting one. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. What do you think? Um, um, this is my first sort of like crack at it. Okay, um, so this is just this is raw. This is right off the we're top. Riffing. Of your head. Let's let's riff. You know. Yeah. Uh, I I feel like like Utah kind of strikes me as like this like less playoff ready version of the Suns almost. Like Aiton Aiton is like a version of Gobert that is. I mean, he doesn't have his height, but um like he doesn't I mean Gobert is a rim protector is also just if we really like we gotta like can we just stop like slandering Gobert like fuck's sakes man like here's looking at you Royce O'Neal and Donovan Mitchell like make some more rotations and don't let Terrence Mann kill you it's not Rudy's fault I'm like a complete believer that was like the coverage was not Rudy's fault 
You mean he's watching. not supposed to guard all five players at the same time? At the time, same time? I know. I know. Perimeter? It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. So, look, it's, you know, like, and I think the Jazz kind of did a similar thing, or they tried to do a similar thing this offseason where, like, they knew they had a hole in the in, in the front court and they tried to fill it. It haven't, hasn't been as successful, but now, like, trade deadline, they, you know, I think everybody's, like, everybody's got, like, kind of, like, the, the Jeremy Grant wet dream going on over here, and I don't quite understand why, because, not because, like, you know, Jeremy Grant is great, but, um, I don't, like, it doesn't really feel like the Pistons have any reason to trade him for, like, the level of assets that a team like the Jazz would have for them. Um, but the, the other guys on the list, like Harrison Barnes, I think is a really interesting guy for, for, for the Jazz. And I think that, like, I would want to see them get one of those guys um, Before you in order for me to, yeah, yeah, because yeah, I, yeah. I think they need more perimeter defense. Um, and I think that, like, that alone would help so much with the stuff that has kind of, like, been determined to be a deficiency of Rudy's. But anyway, moving back to, to the Suns, like, um, Aiton moves his feet faster than him. He has like a, you know, he has an offensive game. So you can't do the things that you can do to take Rudy out of a game um, to Aiton. And then like, as, as Rudy said, I mean, but like, if you just look at Booker's defensive effort, it's just, you know, I mean, I would, I would say, I would say leave some, it would, you would look at Donovan Mitchell and say like, Hey, like this leaves a little bit to be desired. And Donovan's also has not been in the league as long. Um, so I don't really necessarily like want to put too much of it on him, but he definitely like, I think he's still um, a decision-making step away too from like leading a team to the NBA finals. And that on is offense. also some, yeah. Um, and that is also sometimes hmm. something that you figure out as a series goes on as well. So like it could happen. I could, I could see them being like the type of team that like, like the Suns last year came in with like this interesting mold. And then like, as the playoffs went in developed into a finals level team, like they kind of, they have like the right clay for it. Right. But like um, right now, I just think that like the Suns are already there and they're also like, they're, they're younger, they're more athletic. Like their wing depth is just like their, their defenders are stronger. Um, like, you know, if you like putting Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson up against like Ingles and, and Bogdanovich is just like, that's, that's not fun for anybody involved. Right. So yeah, I think, well, I think they're just the like, they're, they have like slight upgrade on, on every kind of level, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think the only thing, I would disagree with on on all those points is that I feel like Mitchell on offense has a gear. I've been talking about this for a while. I I feel like he has a gear. Like he, that that level you're talking about. I feel like he's pretty close. And I don't he gets know if, there. I love him, but I just I don't think it's like always. You know. Well, I I don't. I mean, the thing I I'm seeing is that he's a highly variable player. Like when the shot is off, then you're gonna have those chucker nights right you're gonna have nine for 28 and you're gonna leave a lot of points on the scoreboard but his playmaking is improved to me his passing and then just his ability to get by people when he's right like he's he's so quick Mm -hmm. and his footwork and his his euro steps and his change of direction i've seen like three or four games at least this year where he's just completely skewered whoever the opposing like just absolutely carve them up at mm-hmm. his will and so mm-hmm. i think to your point that's kind of the the only thing that's really interesting about utah to me is can they get in a high level series and have him pop off mm-hmm. does that make life a little easier for jordan clarkson and mike conley and now you're relying on the offense to carry you with defensive deficiencies mm-hmm. 
I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to put too much thought in it because mm-hmm. the you know maybe something happens at the trade deadline that yeah. changes the roster. But um, maybe the way to look at it is also like you know as you say that the way that I'm kind of looking at the Rudy defensive situation where if you get him a little bit more help, like you just won't have the same problems. That could also be a similar thing to to Donovan too, where I think like he kind of like when he has a he has one of those off nights, like there are times like if the offense is if the rest of the Jazz offense is rolling, then like he'll just kind of pull back a little bit sometimes. But there are times when if that's not happening, that's when I think you also see like this, these moments where he's trying to force the issue. Um, but you're right. Like there has been, I mean, he's like, I mean, when he's, when he's right, like you said, like it's, it's, it's impossible. I really actually, you know, like going back to like the, the Booker thing, like Booker is two years on him. And I think this is actually a pretty similar place to where Booker was two years ago, where he was like an incredible scorer and like it was clear he was going to be great, but like there were a few kinks to figure out. And there was also this balance between like getting your own game, which you need to do to get help the team score. Like it's not like I don't think Mitchell's in his place where he's doing this for like, you know, any selfish reasons. Any like if he ever was, um, I think it's more just like you you learn what your role is and you're like, oh, I got to do my role. Like I got to I got to go score these points. Right. And I think like there's like this cerebral thing that he's he's getting better at it every year. But he's I still think he's just a, a little bit. A little bit away from it. Can I, can I, tell you like, a, I don't really think we necessarily even like disagree that much. I think we're honestly just framing this differently. Can I tell you a crazy stat? Because yeah. I, I was thinking as we talked through this, I was thinking, how old is Devin Booker? Because he's he's been in the league forever and he's always significantly younger than whatever I think he is. It's like mm-hmm. a weird mind game. Like whatever uh, yeah. age uh-huh. you think he is, he's younger. Mm-hmm. So he just turned 25. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure Suns fans know this. And maybe I did once. I've forgotten it. Who mm-hmm. knows? Donovan Mitchell is like 25 and a half. He's mm-hmm. two months older mm-hmm. than Devin Booker. Mm-hmm. It just, I just is wild to me. That, yeah. You know, there's that experience gap. This is Mitchell's fifth year. Mm-hmm. And I think it's Booker's seventh, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's, they've got two years. Yeah. And yet, yet was... he's, he's somehow older. Yeah. That's always funny. <laughs> like, like all the Memphis Grizzlies are like actually 23, even though they've been in the league for like two years. Yeah, um, <laughs> Jaren's in his fourth year, and he, he just turned twenty-two like a month and a half ago. So yeah, and I think like Desmond Bain is like older than him. I think <laughs> Desmond Bain probably is a man. Yeah. We didn't even. How do we make it through the whole podcast without talking about Desmond Bain? Jaron Jackson is twenty-two. Uh, Desmond Bain is twenty-three. Yeah, Dylan Brooks is twenty-six. I didn't. I I, t- I took Dylan Brooks for more twenty-five. I guess <laughs> Andrew Wiggins also only twenty-six. Dylan He's Brooks been... is the senior, the elder on that team. I guess mm-hmm. Stephen Adams is, but I don't. Steven, yeah. you know, I didn't when I talked to Kyle Anderson last year, like and I was like, so what's it like to be like a 27-year-old like that? And he's like, I don't know, man. just do it. <laughs> like <laughs> so what were you saying about Steven Adams? I don't know. I don't know what I was saying. What are what are we gonna call this podcast? What did we what did we discuss? How can we summarize it? Mm, that's a good question. I guess I mean in, in the spirit of this of this podcast where we're, we're trying not to come up with formulas for anything. This is, I guess, a place where you run into a hitch where things do need names. So I don't know. I don't know. I think we hit like a bunch of different weird stuff, cool, weird stuff. That was the goal. Yeah. That's all you need to do when you, when you make a podcast is to Mm -hmm. hit weird stuff. Um, Speaking of weird stuff, if you want to support this podcast and all things thinking basketball, Head on over to patreon.com slash thinking basketball. I think tomorrow, that's January 29th, we're having our monthly live Q&A. Um, Siri, you should come by. You get to Sweet. you get to hang out and you get to ask me 
all sorts of ridiculous questions. Um, you can also get other extras. There's a speaking of Jaron Jackson Jr. There's a breakdown I did of his game against Giannis and the Bucks. That was one of my favorite games of mm-hmm. January from last week. They went mano a mano. Jaron finished with like 29 points in that game, which was a season high. It was a really fun game. Um, and all kinds of other extras, proprietary stats, things like that, that I can't remember. Patreon.com slash thinking basketball. It is the best way to directly support this show and everything thinking basketball. Otherwise, I hope you enjoyed this wild, bending, weird journey through the metaverse that is the 2022 NBA. Um, Sirit, where can people find your work? And, you know, if you want to plug anything, all that kind of Um, good stuff. Nothing to plug as of right now, hopefully soon. Um, You can find me at The Ringer. Um, I host a podcast with Chris Ryan called The Answer. It comes out every Friday where we try to have a question that we try to answer. Um, And it's a fun time. It's a fun time. Yeah, and I just realized the Philadelphia influence of that name yes wow yes that had escaped me before this reminds me of the time i realized that that in back to the future he lives in a town called hill valley and it had been right under my nose for all those years what 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 does that mean it's hill it's a hill in a valley how can it how can you be a hill in a valley at the same time (laughs) i wish i wish everyone could (laughs) see sarah's face right now (laughs) this is exactly the level of mind blown that i had when i discovered this um Mm -hmm. and also partially the level of mind blown i had realizing that chris ryan's podcast is called the answer where how do we exit this show where were we how do i how do i rap Uh, um um uh, I, I don't know i got nothing man i got nothing i, I this was a fun conversation i i sincerely enjoyed this i think it might it might a, a very a not really a real plug but potentially this could be i feel like a fulcrum to to other things in the future um i feel like it got my mind going so you know so so i appreciate t- you i appreciate you letting me think about basketball on thinking basketball that's what the goal of the show is yeah that's why it's called that and and i always i mean it's always fun when you come by we always end up in this place and now it's like it's like little seeds in the garden go out expand on these ideas come back Mm -hmm. hopefully you'll come back i don't know i'll be back if you'll have me yeah of course you come back and we'll 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 see what kind of sprouted from these ideas that we planted yeah yeah sounds fun all right sarah thank you that is it for this episode um as always i appreciate everyone listening all the way to the end through the strangest outro in the history of this podcast and uh of course wherever you are i hope you're having a great day that was really fun